around the use of forms. Yeah. I'll explain what I mean. Um, really like the, the, what I've just chanted, the sense of um, homage to the Buddha and a recollection of a sense of refuge. I mean, it's a form, isn't it? A little form. And for me it's a helpful little form because it reminds me what I'm connected to, brings me into the sense of refuge in the present moment, and I have a sense of myself in a field of people practicing waking up, both those that have taught me and those that practice with me. So we can use forms skillfully, can't we, that support our ability to be present. Um, the retreat is a kind of form. It is a form. Yeah, we, we come here into this particular kind of container because we recognize it is helpful. It's a, it supports each of us in this process of waking up. Yeah. And some bits of it you like, some bits you don't, but the whole thing works. If it doesn't, we go, we leave a little note to the staff and say, we haven't gone for a walk. (laughs) We've checked out. (laughs) And that's perfectly possible, isn't it? But something keeps us here, even when it's not so easy. We recognise, oh, there's a container that holds me. And it can be the, the, just the presence of others practicing. So the sense of somber <coughs> community. This is really powerful. Something that no doubt Jatindra and I will talk about more is the, towards the end of the retreat, just this really powerful sangha. This, this sense of community practice and how we keep connected to that, wherever we are. It's both external and internal, isn't it? So we come to practice together and then somebody decides when the bell should be rung. Now, for some people, three quarters of an hour is too long. For some people, it is too short. But here we are, and we agree to keep within these forms. Mm. And, you know, like by tomorrow we say, well, 
we can open us up even more. I mean, can keep changing form, can't we? But we we know this is helpful, and we know particularly at the beginning of the retreat, just the rhythm of walking and sitting with a whole lot of people is hugely powerful. And we agree. We do it. it used to strike me as amazing in the monastery. <laughs> yeah. We'd all agree to line up like this in the same order and go and do something. No one talked about it. And sometimes I'd think, yeah. Isn't it incredible that we keep doing this? And you know, why do we keep doing it? We keep doing it because it's part of something bigger that is working for us. Whether we like bits of it or not. And there may be a time when we realise, actually it isn't working for us. And we leave the note. It happens one more. And that, that is really where the discernment needs to be, isn't it? And some things are negotiable. But you know, there's some beauty in just being within a system, a form, and relaxing into it, trusting it. Trusting that even if it's what we don't buy, the whole thing is about supporting us to wake up. We need to use our discernment in that. But having put ourselves here, we taste it and we check it out. Is this good for me? So there's that aspect of form, isn't there? And what happens when we're all together practicing this way? Someone told me a little story today, just a little um, something that happened. And as I was sitting, a suitor flashed into my mind, which I initially couldn't find in here. So I thought, I am in the 21st century. Why don't I go and use the computer to Or maybe it is only in the Vinaya Pitaka. But it actually is in here. I just—it's just the Vikram Bodhi is very good about referencing similes, and I—I I couldn't find a simile here, and I thought, well, maybe it isn't here. But anyway, so what it is is a little story in a sutta about what it's like to live together in community. <coughs> And it arose from this sort of story where someone was saying about how they were taking out the compost <coughs> and it was too heavy. And somebody else just came up and didn't say anything and helped them. Yeah. Now, sometimes we can help, sometimes we can't. Yeah. Sometimes it's not suitable to. But when we can, we do. And we see it happening all around us, don't we? So the Buddha talks about this. And what 
what in the sutta has happened, he's been living in a community of monks and they have been fighting. And he gets sick of it because they won't listen. So he takes his bowl and robes and he sits out. And he comes into a forest and he's going to stay there and the person who is the not sure owner or caretaker of it says, but there are already some monks staying here. Anyway, it turns out, you know, they're, they're part of the Sangha and the Buddha questions them. They, well, before that happens, you know, they see, they see the Buddha and they see that the park keeper won't let him in because they're staying there and they say to the park keeper, please, you know, please let him in. So he comes and he questions them and says, I hope you're well. I hope you're comfortable. I hope you are not having trouble getting food. And so that here, well, he's talking to Anuruddha, but they call them the Anurudas. Yeah? Essentially they reply, yes, we are keeping really well. We are comfortable. Yeah? We have we have adequate food. I hope, Anuruddha, that you are living in concord with mutual appreciation, without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. Surely, Venerable Sir, we are living in concord with mutual appreciation, without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kindly eyes. But, Anuruddha, how do you live like this? It's funny when things touch you. Yeah. <laughs> so, Venerable Sir, as to this, I think thus, it is gain for me, it is great gain for me that I am living with such companions in the holy life. I maintain bodily acts of loving kindness towards those venerable ones, both openly and privately. I maintain verbal acts of loving-kindness towards them both openly and privately. I maintain mental acts of loving-kindness towards them both openly and privately. I consider, why should I not set aside what I wish to do and do what these venerable ones wish to do? Then I set aside what I wish to do and do what these venerable ones wish to do we are different in body, venerable sir, but one in mind. And venerable Nandia and venerable Kimbala each speak the same. And they add, this is how, venerable sir, we are living in concord with mutual appreciation, without disputing, blending like milk and water, viewing each other with kind eyes. 
And then the Buddha asks, and will I hope you're dwelling resolute? You know, that you're, you're practicing well. And they say, yes, whichever of us returns first from the village, prepares the seats, sets out the water for drinking, for washing, puts the refuge bucket in place, Whichever of us returns last, eat any, eats any food left over if they wish. Otherwise, they throw it away where there is no greenery, they drop it into water where there is no life. They put away the seats and water for drinking and for washing. They put away the refuge bucket after washing it, and they sweep out the refectory. Whoever notices that the pots of water for drinking, washing, are low or empty, takes care of them. If they are too heavy for them, they call someone else by a signal of the hand, and they move it by joining hands, but because of this we do not break out into speech. For every five days we gather together to discuss the Dharma. That is how we abide, diligent, ardent and resolute. So the sutta goes on, to talk about you know, the, the cultivations that then are possible to them, living in this way. But it's just, it's such a, for me, a very beautiful sense of how we can be with each other, particularly at this time. Realising here we all are and we take care. So, you know, as we've been saying, you know, here we are, we're practicing anapanasati, but it's not a closing down. It's about increasing our awareness, our waking upness. That we're starting to really feel care and respect for each other person in the room. And so we're just checking it out. What is happening for us as we're practicing? There's a kind of attunement. And how we get, so we really, you know, we're not talking, but we can know all kinds of things about someone. And how well we can know people. You know, I had the funniest thing this morning. I was sitting there before most people came in in the early morning and I heard chuk and I knew who had walked into the door and I thought I have heard those feet walking to my past my seat thousands and thousands of times they, they didn't need to do more than one step in the doorway and you realise that's we get so attuned to each other. We're really we're sensitive beings. And just to take that sensitivity and that attunement to take care. Not that we're worrying about each other, but that we just we recognise here we are with other practitioners. And they're precious, you know, the precious, the gift of living with other people committed to waking up. It is great gain for me. So 
we drink this in. You know, this this is a really precious time because we'll each go to our own places, and you know, it may not be so obvious. So we we tune in, and then there are the other forms, you know, chanting. Makes sense to some people, doesn't make sense to other people, yeah? But here it is a form we offer because for some people it's just really powerful and helpful. We know the translation of bits of it is very confusing. But here it is. So what do we do? Do we not do any of it? Or do we pick it up with the sense of, yes, I can can use my discernment around this. It's about a gesture of coming together and recollecting. Recollecting each of our ability to wake up. And it also deepens something. We're left with the resonances of these ancient teachings. And then we're out somewhere and we realize feeling is impermanent. We've been chanting it every morning. So, how we pick up these forms? We don't care if you chant or you don't chant. Hmm? Makes no difference to me. But it's whether it's helpful. So at times it's helpful, at other times it may not be. Over years and years of this stuff, there have been times when my heart's gone, yes. And other times where I think, no. Hmm? Get me out of here. Part of the power is to keep with something through all of that. I, I, you know, the chanting, some of these forms, feel like the hundred thousand prostrations within the Tibetan practice. The first couple of bows, you feel really enthusiastic. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the enthusiasm lasts for a thousand. How does it feel when you've done 30,000? It, it's a purification, isn't it? We do something because we know it supports waking up, whether it feels good or it doesn't feel good. Sometimes it feels good to come here for morning chanting. For some people, it never feels good. But that, it's not about that, is it? We're starting to use form, understand this stuff, freed out of feeling. It's not about feeling. It's about waking up. And it's, this is what the Anapanasati Sutta is teaching us. The tetrad we were discussing this morning. We start to understand feeling just as feeling. It's 
just that much. Feeling and perception, the things that condition the heart, titisankara, just, they're just perception, they're just feeling. And our lives can be so confused and thrown around by being obsessed by these two. So these kind of forms that aren't about whether you like it or you don't like it, how you're feeling at the time, can be really helpful. We come and we sit in meditation. Sometimes the mind is so blissful. Other times it's crazy. And we're just prepared to be present. This is powerful, isn't it? This is like a hundred thousand prostrations. Yeah. It's a it's a purification of the heart. Yeah. I'm getting freed up out of perception and feeling. We start to know the limits of perception. Perception, it's so related to memory and designation, what we decide things are. And the more the mind purifies, the more we are freed into awareness itself, we realise things aren't anything. They're just themselves. If we can even say that much. No, a bell is a bell. I mean, you've heard me talk before about some of you about being at Chithurst and we had someone go a little crazy and they started eating their arms food out of the bell on our shrine room. For them, it wasn't a bell, it was a bowl. Very helpful. We were all obsessed with the bell nature of it. Bell, bowl. Could be a thousand things. Yeah. And this starts to free up. And this doesn't matter so much about a bell, but it's really wonderful when our perceptions around people start freeing up. Mm. We come out of kind of fixed views around everything. Mm. It's just itself. Mm. And Conventionally, it's helpful, you know, we use it. But to let things be freer, you know, freedom there and it's freer here. (coughs) And what, you know, this process in Anapanasati does is we really, you know, as we move through the tetras, we're working with perception and feeling. We're starting to know them. It's wonderful. And what's really fascinating to me about it is as the meditation can deepen, you can get the weirdest things starting happening. Some of you have had them. The craziest experiences. All of a sudden, your whole perception is you're being rammed through the floor and your head's been cut off. And it's an embodied experience. It's a whole perception. I mean, I remember 
just the weirdest things happening. And you know, you read other people's meditation experiences. One old Arjun that used to, at a certain point of his meditation, all his insides would be hanging from the trees. Just normally you'd say they were crazy. But this is just the mind doing its thing. You know, this is just perception and feeling. Even if it feels very disturbing. So it starts to free us up. You know? So we get the more normal perceptions happening with the breath, normal feelings, but something about the process can start throwing up all kinds of signs and feelings for some people. Yeah, you know, it's only that. Feels very real at the time. <laughs> but it's, it's, yeah. So we let this practice do us, really. And we realize, actually, living in this container Blending like milk and water. Something is happening. A capacity starts to arise to actually meet what is happening and not to believe it. We know we can be with what feels pleasant, we can be with what feels unpleasant. And as someone was reflecting today, how we designate that is a little random. I come from a Pacific culture, so I love, you wouldn't know looking at me, but I love colour and pattern. Colour and pattern. Oh. <laughs> Clashing colour and pattern to most people's view. <laughs> it's just conditioning. We lived for a time in Melbourne. Black. <laughs> just a different conditioning in terms of what it's suitable to wear. I had my mother come and visit us in England. <laughs> the English, after she left, the English folks said to me, oh, your mother. <laughs> she wore brilliant gold yellow with big hats. <laughs> she wore the strong greens and kind of parrot colours. It just wasn't what you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, it's good cultural, isn't it? If we went, we went to Sissinghurst, yeah? And my mother is in screaming yellow with this great big hat on. And people started saying, you must know her. <laughs> she looked like she must be famous. <laughs> yeah. Who else would do something so outrageous? <laughs> and you realise this is cultural. So you start to recognise this stuff. We don't believe it. How the mind has been conditioned. So it likes one thing, it doesn't like another. And it can feel so real.
and the and the practice is about getting all fluid in us. As I was saying, you know, very clearly the other night, that you know, just even with the sound of the bell ringing, just choosing whether you're going to like it or not like it, just de- deciding it's one thing or another, and see what happens in the mind. Start experimenting. Start deciding things are something else. Someone you haven't liked is now your closest friend. Just start shifting perceptions around. See what happens here. Start freeing it up. Taking some of these forms, experimenting. Some of you know, Chachindra and I have been doing a lot of bowing, yeah? Some of you are used to it. For some of you, you're going, what on earth are they doing? Yeah? Why? Bowing. <coughs> yeah? Oh. So this is something we've just done for so long. We've been trained in it, in a way. I mean, and as I say, my first training was, Bow, it's good for your back. <laughs> yeah, which, for my kind of mind, is perfect. Because I just learn experientially. Yeah. So I bow, straighten my back out, and start to feel what happens in my heart. Yeah. And I realize it feels a relief to bow. To, to let myself surrender to the sense of my possibility of waking up. You know, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, the sense that there is awareness, there is this possibility. You know, and when things are really rough, there has been a lifesaver. Just to use a simple form. So we experiment. What works for us, what doesn't work. Given our own individual conditioning, what makes sense. It's not that any of this stuff is fundamentally right or wrong. But there there are ways we can start experimenting. What works? what works for us. What works now may not work in two years' time. Let's check it out. So, forms, conventions, here, out of here, we don't start knowing them just for what they are. They provide a container. You know, they provide a way that we can see something and reflect upon it. And start to attune. Not how does this, do I like it? But is this opening 
my mind? Is this softening my heart? Is this making me more available? Yeah. Mm. It's tricky because culturally it's all about whether you like it or not. Mm. But cultivation is about a different thing. We're going against that stream. We're coming into something more direct. Freeing awareness. And these conventional forms, retreats, bowing, any of this stuff, what it does is it gives us strength to hold through this process. Because I don't imagine there are any of you for whom there hasn't been some turbulence, emotional turbulence. Or whether, kind of, even if our growing up has been incredibly easy, felt very loved or whatever, the voices of our culture contain so much doubt and self-criticism, so much judgment. The whole school system that this stuff gets internalized. And when we sit, we meet it. So, you know, what helps us meet everything? And talking with some of you, for some of you, just being outside. It's a form, it's a way of being, that gives you the strength. For others of you, it's being in connection. Feeling love, feeling presence, both your own and others. Some people, it's exercise. So something that brings them deeply into the body. And I guess, really, most of us, it's a combination of these things, isn't it? So, in any moment, we think, oh, what is needed to meet this? How do I get, particularly this turban, how do I get my heart around this? Maybe it's just cuddling the cat. It's amazing, and you know, since we've been talking about the monastery, we had, it's dead now, but we had the most gorgeous pussy cat. The kind of cat that would drape all over you. Yeah, who knows a car? Soft and black. It's kind of in my mind because it was called Gumpy. Gompo, but we called him Gompi for short. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I've just been in a place in a Gompo, so it's just this cat. And you think, yeah, sometimes it's just this presence of this being 
who brings a sense of warmth. We have a little pussy cat at home like that, but you can't cuddle it the same way. It's a little bit too timorous for that. So this this cat we have, and just what it felt like when it was purring and cuddled close. So there are ways we know that our heart can get the strength to meet things. Sometimes it's recollecting. Recollecting the fields of our relationships. Each of us has a different thing. Walking by the sea, swimming, floating in the water. It doesn't have to be sitting on the cushion. But we experiment. How do we meet our life so that we get the, the capacity, we get the shift, kind of shift in gesture where our life is not about trying to get things and have things and about perception and feeling. It's become a gesture of blessing where actually our life is lived like this. So that's, it's a kind of energetic movement, isn't it? And this is the, the shift that starts to happen in the heart. We're no longer panicking here. We're actually available. So we check it out. What, what form works for us? Here, out of here. How do we get so we're not so obsessed by feeling, pleasant feeling, so distressed by unpleasant feeling? How do we get so we let things be fluid? I don't know about you, but I can find it helpful just to recollect even these little stories from the suttas, you know, to remember the anurudas blending like milk and water, what it's like to live for a time with companions and waking up. And you know, what's really miraculous is we spend nine days, ten days here, and our body will know the experience of being here for the rest of our time. We have a reference to it. I could sit in New Zealand and feel myself with all the people that were here last year. We can all do this, can't we? Just rest into that. So these times are really precious because they they give us a body memory, a body understanding of what it's like to sit in a field that's waking up. 
maybe enough. You can just sit for a few minutes and then you can practice this with secret. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.